Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. We're back for part two of Mark's six weeks in the Canadian wilderness. We've got the whole crew online again tonight, and uh, Mark shut me down when I started asking questions about moving east of the of the Canadian Rockies. So tonight we're going to hear about the trip out to the east. But before we do that. We should uh, do a little promo on our, our sponsor promo, which we mentioned in the last podcast. But just to reiterate, because this promotion is going to go from now until the end of uh, the year. So it'll be good for the holidays. Um, if you listen to the last podcast, you heard all about it. But if you haven't, basically what they're going to do is give any wild and exposed listener 20% off of any think tank bag or any SKB hard case that they have in stock on the website. He said he couldn't do it with special order stuff, but he said that they intentionally overbought that kind of stuff when they did their buying season last year, just because they knew the supply issues were going to be difficult this year. So we should have plenty of stock on a plenty of different things. When I was talking to him on the phone, he was actually walking down the aisles because we were trying to come up with a cool promo. And I said, well, you know, I use the think tank airport, security bag and he's like oh yeah it's right here and so i know they've got that kind of stuff in stock and that's like a 420 dollar roller bag that is super awesome i have three of them and i use them different configurations and use them all the time they fit on a 737 on up actually it'll fit in a, a little smaller jet too in the overhead compartment so you know your equipment is safe but if you look at 20 percent off of that it's like 80 bucks a little bit over 80 bucks that's pretty significant little savings on on uh, a bag of that caliber. So just know it's got to be in stock and then you it's wild and exposed listeners only and you have to use this promo code. It's case 2021. So C A S E 2021. Use that as the promo code and you'll get 80% or 20% off 80 bucks off on a Think Tank airport security bag and You'll be set. And I know that here lately, I've been buying the SKB uh, smaller hard cases for like accessory boxes. So like if I'm going on a trip, I have a bunch of these little hard cases that I end up throwing in my checked luggage. And my checked luggage is always duffel bags. So there's no structure to them at all. So if I have something that's somewhat fragile, like GoPros or, and it's, they're not like they're fragile, but you know, those guys that are throwing luggage around don't really know what's in there. And if it hits the ground from 10 feet, you want to have it kind of protected. So I use those little SKB hard cases to store just fragile little items that, you know, you want protected and it fits right in the duffel bag. You put your clothes around it and it's a good way to go. So keep that in mind for this holiday season. And... Speaking of the holiday season, as Mark talked about in the last podcast, make sure you hit up the Wild and Exposed store so you make sure you get those items shipped to your loved ones or to yourself. 
and that they'll be received by Christmas. And you got to go for that. It depends t-shirt. I didn't say it on the last podcast, but I was so going to say it when Mark was talking about, well, I had to use a GoPro or my phone or my video camera or my still camera. That's exactly what our It Depends t-shirt is. So it's perfect for Mark. You should be wearing one 24-7 these days. Backwards and forwards. It depends. It's amazing. You know, when we when we talked about this, how many times that comes up now when we're asked questions, just talking, and I never paid attention to it. But now I catch it every time. It's like, oh, there it is again. It depends. Well, of course it depends. There's so many variables. But, yes, great idea by Michael Morrow. And another way for you to support Wild and Exposed in our efforts and bringing you this fun content and all the guests that we have on as well to share the lively world of wildlife photography, nature photography, because it all depends on what you're doing. And one other thing we ought to just promote. So we all have favorite pictures. And what we've done is we've taken these favorite pictures of ours. We've hired an artist to turn them into line art so that this picture that is one of our favorites, our personal favorites, is now going to be turned into line art, which is then going to be going on to T-shirts and hoodies. So I'm excited to get that. They're not ready yet. I just wanted to kind of preface the whole thing and just let you know that it's coming out and to stay tuned. And I'm sure when we actually get the first batch of those out, we'll put them on Instagram and just try to put the word out. But I think they're going to be kind of, I like them. I think they're going to be kind of cool. So maybe we can tease some designs out a little bit at a time until we get these first run of shirts out, but it's going to be different. It's not going to be just your standard logo branded stuff. It's going to be something that's kind of fun. And hopefully we'll have a, an animal that will resonate with you that you want to wear out and show off. For those of you listening to the audio podcasts, thanks as always for tuning in. Check us out on YouTube to see the handsome, smiling mugs of Michael, Jason, and Ron. This is part two. Are you not smiling? I, well, I will be in a moment. Once I start <laughs> are you storytelling. The, are you closing the show already? <laughs> Thank you. quick trip to Newfoundland. Thank you for <laughs> hearing about my adventure to Newfoundland. Quick tip in it closing. Was a, it was go a for the Go for the quick, sorry, go for the fresh cod dinners every chance you get that's it man that's all you need to know people you can't get that in wyoming Mm-mm. so <laughs> so good so good like almost you just want to have it every night but you don't want to be repetitive but it's like how long will we be here it's so good that is newfoundland <laughs> <laughs> The fresh sea air. Fresh well, sea it's air. part of it. It's just the air is splendid there. It's just so clean. I mean, I'm... Well, I'm if not... you guys have been watching any of Mark's posts on Instagram, you've posted a couple of those images that represent the, the ocean. Yeah, and there's a lot more right? coming. Oh, so it's... there's a lot of teaser teaser things out there if you want to check it out. The content. Or a few right now. Yeah, they're on my Instagram, but they'll be, they'll be flooding... Uh, wild and exposed to share with the other guys stuff as well on there too so did you put your card holder in your backpack yes or in my chest pocket of my jacket mind you you only could wade up to your waist it's a different situation there i wasn't really as keen to go wading into the atlantic ocean 
in the north. It could so slightly happen. cooler, a, a lot cooler. But a couple of highlight <laughs> stories from this trip that will be revealed in the, in the minutes ahead involved the ocean. Now, hold on. Before you get started with the highlights that are going to involve the ocean, <laughs> were you able to photograph moose at all? Are you making fun of me now? Yes, totally. It's Newfoundland. There are lots of moose in Newfoundland. No, I just knew where most of the highlights were going to come from. So, The moose population, it's, it's world-renowned for moose in Newfoundland. But there aren't as many as there used to be. It's a very different landscape for moose than it was 10 or 15 years ago. My first trip to Newfoundland was in 2002. I fell in love with the place then for a long list of reasons, and the moose were everywhere. The joke was the Newfoundland speed bump, which isn't funny because they were so such a high risk at that time. At I mean, at night you just avoided driving or you drove very slowly because moose are black and so is the night it just they disappear they're so hard to see until they're right too close but there are the, the province has has removed a significant number since then uh, this is hearsay i don't i don't have it uh but i i believe it to be true that uh, there was a class action lawsuit threatened against the province now, i could be wrong about this but this is this is what's happened from my understanding because moose are technically introduced to Newfoundland and we're very successful. It's ideal moose habitat. But because of the automo automotive collisions and the very unfortunate circumstance of people perishing when they hit moose, which makes sense, it can happen, they're monstrous big animals, then because they were introduced there was a threat of a class action lawsuit against the province. And from what I heard, um, they up the quotas and stuff to remove moose so that there aren't nearly as many along roadways. And in fact, we were one of the gentlemen we got to know on our on our trip this year in Newfoundland uh, was a biologist working there who was doing a survey on spruce budworm. And not that I believe they have it there, but they're just doing constant surveys watching for it because they don't want it to get established and they're doing some spraying and stuff to prevent it. Uh, commented that you know 10 years ago he would have seen 30 moose on the drive and this year he hadn't seen any going back and forth I mean that was like per drive kind of thing so the moose landscape is different than it used to be however in summary I mean the happy ending is there are still a lot of moose in Newfoundlands they're just not around every corner as they used to be it's a matter so of back up a minute what sure. was that bug is that a bug spruce budworm yeah it's, yeah, is that something that affects moose, or does it affect the habitat? No, it's it's trees. It's it's not to do with moose, right? It's to do with the forest. It kills the forest. So that's one of the culprits of what's I believe happened in the, on the west, where you have all all these coniferous forests that are dying, and therefore once they've died, uh, for the forest industry, obviously there's no value in the lumber. But more, not necessarily, sorry, not more importantly, also a big issue is that when the forests have expansive die-off there's a lot of dead timber there and lightning strikes can happen and cause these ex extensive forest fires that are happening in the west and the rockies all th all through those regions that have been struck and they're as far north as alaska that this has been happening as far as the the um, lodgepole pine pine beetles and stuff so it's it's more of a 
a, a concern of, of watching for these species showing up that can devastate the forest landscape. That's what he was doing. So they were drilling. And he was just out there a lot. So he was just saying he isn't seeing as many moose just because he normally would. What he's studying was more about habitat. Exactly. Like yes. I just didn't follow it right away. Sorry. Yeah, he, he lived uh, far enough away in Newfoundland that he was in the field for two weeks in the region we were in. And he was staying in in the same accommodations that we were in, but yeah, he was assessing the forest situation and whether any of these were there, not the moose, but just commenting on the side because he knew we were wildlife photographers and we were looking for moose among other things. He just had brought that up as an anecdotal story that way. So yeah, Newfoundland, you know, is synonymous with thinking about finding moose. They're still there. It's just more effort than it used to be to find them, but we did two things so, what about ticks because ticks yeah, are a bad problem ask in about maine. That as well maine they I, they said that you know recruitment a good year of recruitment is about 30 percent anyway and that's just from predation but in maine they were having 50 percent loss just from ticks and they were taking about 40 pounds of ticks off of these moose calves that were that had uh, been overcome with these these ticks is that a problem in newfoundland as well or have they this is not a happy story guys this podcast is such a great trip talking about 40 pounds of ticks on an animal everybody in the audience i mean it's an important topic you're right to bring it up but everybody's cringing uh the moose ticks are, are are a big deal because they overwinter on the animal and reproduce on the animal and it's a spring uh, phenomenon if the winter seasons prolonged can cause hypothermia because more and more ticks are on the moose they'll rub against trees because of the irritation which removes hair and they no longer can insulate themselves and die of hypothermia so a big thing is as these moose tick numbers or these tick numbers increase on the animal is if spring comes early enough they can get through it but if it doesn't, then they have these huge rates of mortality. I'm not, there are wood ticks in Newfoundland. There are, to my knowledge, no black-legged ticks, which is what causes Lyme disease. Uh, that's something that is on a lot of people's radar as it moves further and further north with warming climates and changing ecosystems. But that's one of the, honestly, from, I do a lot of white-tailed deer photography, amongst other things, of course, in Ontario. It's where I, I live a lot of the year. And the black-legged ticks are an ongoing nightmare. I mean, I've five or six a day I've had on me this week. Not on my skin, but on. I have to wear coveralls so I can pick. I can see them like these pale gray coveralls. And I treat those now, and I don't want to do that either. But the you know the 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 safety of having you know an afternoon of wearing these coveralls not against my skin that are treated versus the risk of ticks and the threat of Lyme disease. It's not fun, but it's something to be very aware of. And it's a different topic. Sorry for getting off off track. But in Newfoundland, it just it's wonderfully refreshing, like Alaska where or the Yukon, where we can hike wherever and not be worried about these parasites that can be vectors for disease. As far as the moose and moose tick issues and hypothermia, I have not heard that being an issue in Newfoundland. 
I know in Ontario, Algonquin Park, it can be a very significant issue, again, depending on what the spring climate is like, the weather for, for that year. And thankfully, the last few years have been better for Algonquin populations that way. But in Newfoundland, I haven't heard that being an issue, nor seen evidence of, of that being having an, an impact. Well, that's that's good. So occasionally on Instagram, you'll be scrolling through and you'll see a white moose. Right, so you'll see a. I, I, there's a couple of famous ones. You'll see a white moose crossing the road, and I believe a lot of those are found in Newfoundland. I know there's some in Alaska too. At times, it hasn't been for a while that anybody's seen one. But did you hear any scuttlebutt about any white moose, or or is that something that's just you know, yeah. it's like winning the lottery to see one? I think so. There. Okay, so there's a white cow and calf that's been seen uh, in northern Ontario above uh, Lake Superior, along that highway. That's one of the viral ones that you see crossing the road. But Newfoundland does have a few white moose that pop up. And I've always been intrigued by that. I always ask questions. And man, that would be one of those crazy moments to see that. And we covered a lot of Newfoundland on this trip because we were there for a month. And in one area, I have uh, some good friends. And one of them saw a bull a white bull this summer and it was like oh where you know and, and I think we when we have to cover Newfoundland because I'm sorry I, I, I kind of insist upon it because there's so many good stories from our trips on for the podcast sake but if you go back one or two years uh, to other Newfoundland podcasts we've done I think we had a video link or maybe we didn't put it up if we didn't we can do it for this one where there are two lovely Newfoundland ladies talking about the the white moose in the pond and they were, oh, would you look at that mm -hmm. my dearie would you see that right oh it's amazing you know it's so entertaining and so wonderfully genuine there are pockets of them and they seem to show up it is illegal to harvest a white moose in newfoundland and i learned that this this year just by reading uh, online but i haven't seen one but they're there there's certain there are pockets so you, you look online, you can do some digging, you can find out kind of where they are, but it's literally a needle in a haystack. Newfoundland is an incredible landscape for so many reasons, so rugged, so it's it's very unique for, for where I've been. But it's also a lot of it's heavily forested with conifers. I mean, you look at the forest and it's like, there's no way you can walk through it. But the point in saying that is it's so hard to see these moose in some areas. You have to be really lucky to find a white one. But they're there, and that would be a dream. Man, yeah, that'll push the R5 buffer when that happens. <laughs> yeah, it would be totally cool to just capture a white. I mean, I've seen footage of a bull, and I've seen footage of a, a cow and a calf, and then probably some other cows out there, but it would just be spectacular to see a right a big majestic bull that's all white you i mean it's one of those things that even after decades of doing this to keep to keep our stuff together to get the content we want not just you know just be dumbfounded staring at it that's where i'd be like oh my you know get this you know but it's be so amazing so rare and yeah it's maybe someday all right so now on with your story those were just my two little things and i was oh. just curious Good questions. About. On with my story. Well, 
I mean, well, hold on one more. Yeah, throw it out there. Nope, Michael, he insists on covering <laughs> Newfoundland. <laughs> well, it is Newfoundland. How big is Newfoundland? So when you talk Newfoundland, are you talking? Give us a reference. Is it as big as uh, Colorado? Is it half the size of Ontario? What What are we talking? Well, it's about ten or twelve hours to drive across it, and. I'm asking the Google brain right now, because I wasn't prepped for that question, my friend. No, I could have done that it's, too. I just thought you might have it. Not that this will help some listeners. It's 405,000 square kilometers. Okay, what state is the same size as Newfoundland? This comes up. Newfoundland Labrador would rank as the fourth size behind Alaska, Texas, and California. Perfect. That's good to know. How big is the island of Newfoundland? So it's the way the Canadian geography works is Newfoundland and Labrador. So Labrador is across the Gulf of the St. Lawrence above Quebec. There's a magical place that's on my bucket list that came up with a guest not too long ago. Uh, Torngat Mountains in Labrador. Looks like a stunning place to go spend a couple of weeks. So it's Newfoundland and Labrador, but Newfoundland itself the island, if you want to call it that, it's very big. I mean, Australia is considered an island. Newfoundland's not as big as Australia, but it's a the island itself is 108,000 square kilometers. I just wanted some sort of reference. Yeah, it's so great. When you're talking about these little escapades and looking for the stuff you're looking for, how much you were having to travel or how much you, you know, if you spent a month there, you would think you could cover quite a bit of ground. Well, you find your sweet spots, so you don't cover a lot, a lot of ground. But we did, we I did cover a significant portion. I'll describe. But uh, Newfoundland and Labrador is twenty-four times larger than Hawaii. It's another comparison. So I have no idea. <laughs> so if that helps, how big Hawaii is. <laughs> <laughs> well, someday we have to go there and film, and we'll get a perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm in. There's there's some pretty cool things happening there too, that would be of interest for us. Yeah, Jason will be our tour guide there. So it's about what did you say square kilometers? One hundred eight thousand square kilometers, the island itself. So just Newfoundland, not counting mainland Labrador. So you're doing so. The it's about it's a little under half as big as Wyoming, just just Newfoundland. Wyoming's two hundred fifty three thousand. Okay. Square kilometers. So there you yeah, go. It, it's it's a solid sized island. Yeah, I mean I, I've driven across from coast to coast on one occasion when an airline I flew with about fifteen years ago went out of business while we were there and didn't know about it, but it was a, a great trip because of it. We ended up in St. John's for a couple of days and we didn't expect that. Hold, hold on for a second. Yeah. I think I got lost in that. The airline didn't know that they had gone out of business? <laughs> no, the airline went out of business. <laughs> and my buddy and I were on this wildlife photography trip, staying in a remote cabin with uh -huh. no connection to anything. And when we came out, it was you like, your airline, airline no longer is yeah. it's gone. So we had to book flights on a new airline. And because we were out of connection for like three or four days, everything on that side of Newfoundland was booked because it was very limited. So we had to drive across to St. John's, the largest city in Newfoundland, and book a flight out of there. But 
for those of you who go to Newfoundland, St. John's is a super cool, unique city. It's, it's like a small northern San Francisco, in a sense. It's on a hill. I mean, you can Google all this stuff and see images. Uh, Signal Hills there, where the first telephone call was made through to Europe. There's a landmark there. But and it's a small little bay, but it's just a beautiful, picturesque town. And I was a little bit of a younger man. There's a lot of fun to be had in St. John's. There's a street that's closed off that's just pubs, George Street. And we landed there. Again, this is probably 15 years ago, my buddy and I, because of the circumstances. And it was also the University Frosh Week. So there were these open concerts and... And it was just lots happening, a buzzing city, but a beautiful city, worth seeing if you go to Newfoundland. But like 10 hours across to go from one side of the island to the other. But we cover all different areas. On this trip, we were, at, we were in the southernmost areas of Newfoundland all the way to the north. We covered a, a lot of mileage that way and a lot of variety in topography. Very The fjords and and can't call them mountains because it's not like Alaska or Alberta or the Yukon where you have snow-capped mountains year-round but the fjords remind one of of Norway and it's, it's just such a in the north there's a lot more bogs um, tamarack or larch trees in the evergreens which are the only ones that shed only conifers that shed their needles every year but what's cool about that is they turn like this yellowish gold and as wildlife photographers that's that's golden. It's just beautiful to set in the background for any of these scenes. And as and there's a lot of barren rock in the north. I mean, just strikingly rugged seaside landscape. But people are living there and flourishing in the in these little tiny coastal towns. Have they've? And you'll see this if you go on Newfoundland Labrador tourism and look at any of their advertisements. They do one of the best jobs promoting this area I've seen anywhere in the world, the, the quality of, of, of ads they put out. But they all brightly colored homes or fishing shacks and the stories that could be told living in this landscape. And then further south, there's actually now some more deciduous trees showing up. There's red maples and there's birch and stuff in there as well. So for October in the southern part of Newfoundland, it's very, very colorful with the reds, but the north, you just have the larger tamarack trees turning that way. But the we went as far up as the Viking the Viking village, and that's it was fun because it's closed that time of year. So we just go check out the village itself is open; anybody can walk around there. But people, it's just amazing to think of the, the lifestyles of people that live there on this this harsh, windswept, cold, but so beautiful landscape. You know, when the sun is out and, and the sea life, when we were in coastal areas, it was rare not to see whales and dolphins just going by. It, it just, there's so much going on. We talked to a local who had a sunfish in the bay a couple of days before. Um, I talked to a guy who would go out off the point where he lived and he would drop little pieces of fish off his boat and this tuna that was like I don't know looked like seven feet long would come up and just out of the depths and, and snack on this and just disappear like it's just a stealthy bullet under the surface it's just like a sun I gotta go back to the sunfish sorry okay a sunfish like the big big the flat big, 
huge, ugly, gliding. Yeah. Yeah. But but such wow. a unique. I thought they were in warmer water. That's crazy. Apparently, last year was a peak year for whales in Newfoundland. You know, and there's there's guesswork as to why that's happening. But you know, the ocean currents are warming and changing somewhat, and some of the. So yeah, the the humpback count was off the charts last year. But we yeah we saw a lot of whales and it, yeah it's just such such wonder to be you know one minute in the forest with moose or caribou and then with the binoculars glassing it and watching whales and hearing them honestly on a mm-hmm. most days in newfoundland are windy right it's gusty winds there are days you cannot film video that i mean i i thought about it and there, you just don't take it out i mean as michael's pointed out to us on many occasions just the camera catching that catching the wind i mean i could suppose you get clips but really it's it could be crazy wind, but when it's still, you can be so far away and still hear the, the whales as they surface along the shore. It's just magical, beautiful place, and very unique. It, and the pace, right? It's one of these things, you know, for years and years, I've, I have embraced and, and thrive in the adrenaline-filled pace of modern business. But it's also... I don't know, something more natural about slowing it down. And it's funny on these trips with meeting the local people, everybody is so friendly in these remote rural areas, um, small town Newfoundland. But like I get up and I'll tell you the stories of the, of the daily routine in, in a moment, but it's like there's an agenda, right? I've got so many days. I've got to go find moose or caribou and try to create content, whatever it might be. And a local might be coming along that morning and, and see see me and, and then stop to talk. And I'm like, I, I brother, I, I can't talk. I, I, I go do this. And he's, you know, but they taught me. There was one gentleman I talked to. It was a beautiful daybreak. The sun's just cresting the horizon. I'm on this remote road and this guy comes along in his SUV and pulls up beside me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? You're looking for a moose? I'm like, well, yes, yeah, sure beautiful frost starting to get you know the little crystals as the sun's hitting the frost and i'm like i don't see any moose here i gotta go find them and he starts talking to me and telling me about him and about his family and he said you know something in in newfoundland here we you know we we know everybody we might go into the store and we might know 10 people you know we have time to have a yarn with all of them Um, and and it was interesting it's like okay well, I mean, light is time sensitive as a wildlife photographer, so I felt a little rushed. But I did spend 20 minutes with the guy, and he'd been a fisherman his whole life, and he'd go to sea for three days and two nights, and then come back, and it was seasonal. He told me this story, and but when he when he finished the conversation, he said, "Well, let me let me tell you something. You know, when you go through life, if I was going to say something, I didn't ask for any of this, right? I'm just listening to the guy." When you go through life, you know, think about things. And he said, let me tell you just before I go, I know you should get going. You're probably getting cold standing there. He said, don't make other people's problems your own. You know, lots of people out there have lots of issues and they get upset about things. Don't make those your problems. You just let them wash over you and you go forward. I'm like, what a gift, right? I took 20 minutes to listen to this gentleman, retired guy, 
about his life, about small town Newfoundland. I felt rushed because I'm like, the light's going to get harsher. I still might have to hike two or three kilometers to find what I'm looking for. But in the end, you know, that was the reward of the morning. That's what Newfoundland culture is like. It's like, it's just slower and there's a lot more care and compassion, a lot more giving. So there's a, that's one of the reasons I go back every year. And to be truthful, you know, would like a seasonal home there too. But I won't talk about that on the podcast. So these days in Newfoundland, depending on where we were, it's, it's more of an open landscape than what we have here in deciduous forests. And so we can see further, like, like you would in the north, in Alaska and the Yukon. And because of that, it gives the opportunity for one of my, my favorite photographic still photography images are silhouettes. Now, silhouettes don't sell like crazy. There are magazines I've worked with for decades who don't want to touch them. I have other magazines that certainly fit them in. I think they tell a, a cool story because they're so visually dramatic. But we would start out each day before sunrise trying to find that and stay sometimes to well out on the tundra well after dark uh, working it when we were with animals. And in the, we would try for moose in the mornings for silhouettes and in the evenings we were usually with a, a herd of caribou and if it was clear or if there's just a few clouds to give attitude to the sky then we'd stay but what's amazing about photography when doing silhouettes and actually I'll give a shout out to my friend Don Kessler uh, in Alberta years ago he, were, he and I were in a place just the two of us together and there's a silhouette opportunity and I'd done silhouettes before and just probably haphazardly had them work and he's like when we were doing it, it was a mule deer at that time he's like dial it way down underexposed way down like one two stops go go so i'm like all right and this and what you look at with your naked eye uh, as the sun has set or when it's setting but even like 15 minutes after it's set doesn't look as dramatic as when you dial underexposed by a stop or two stops just bracket away and do it and you'll be amazed at how red and how much vibrancy comes through in that situation so i just love doing that and then the r5 one of the first nights i'm like laying on the ground with this herd of caribou in the dark trying to get low enough so i can see not just their head but below the belly and legs to complete the silhouette for what i was looking for and hand holding it trying to do video and manually dialing it darker and lighter and darker man what a what a it was so much fun you know but a challenge i have yet to edit those i'm looking forward to it but we, we had a lot of fun and the iphone will do it even i did some with that where you just touch your subject but of course every every time you record it resets automatically so you touch your subject so it's in focus and then slide that little star or sorry the sun down a bit until it's the darkness you want but be wary because it goes further for a second than than what your finger does so there are times i made it too dark but i've got some fantastic iphone clips of the caribou silhouetted walking by just on the phone so that's one of my favorite things at beginning and end of a day in that kind of landscape where you have the horizon to play with We want to see them. <laughs> yeah. 
I've got, yeah, there's, there's one, I've just, I'm, I've got a, yeah, anyway, there's, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. I got uh, one, I think with, there were six moose, but I got four in the frame on a silhouette uh, one morning. All right, so the silhouettes, again, aren't for everybody, but, but I, I, I love what they do, and they complete a story. So if you're doing a project, an article, a photo essay, it's such a different image to throw in the mix than traditional. Nobody. Okay. I don't. I don't want to monopolize the whole thing here, so I can keep going. I just am feeling badly because I'm telling stories nonstop. So the caribou in Newfoundland are woodland caribou. So they're a bit uh, heavier bodied than barren ground, and their antlers. You know, all caribou certainly are similar when you look at them, and probably the average person wouldn't know the difference between them glancing at them. But those who are invested in identifying animals would know the difference and antlers are, are a little different but they still have a mature stag or bull will have the, the double brow wedge or tines and then they have the second ones coming up sweep out like the palm of your hands and, and fingers those are called bez and then you have the sweeping upper part of the antlers as well and, and just like every other uh, cervid or ungulate uh, antlered animal Cervidae is a family in Latin. They are all unique. No two are alike. I mean, I've never seen two that are exact mirrors of one another. And then it's so interesting to follow year after year and see how some animals change and mature or age. But caribou have one of the most intricate and, to me, just majestic antler formations. And woodland caribou are what are, are in Newfoundland. And they're hard to find in some areas. They, their population has crashed in the past, sorry, since the, probably the 90s in the, in the I think it's the late, mid to late 80s, uh, a group of coyotes came across from Nova Scotia on an ice bridge. The only predators for caribou on the island of Newfoundland prior to that were black bears so the coyotes have populated the island in the years and decades since and at one point we're having a really serious effect on, on on mortality of calves there was no recruitment or growth or of a population with calves for quite a few years well and so i think part of it is caribou cows or does as they call them in newfoundland aren't as protective as moose are of their calves and it's just so heavily forested as well and coyotes as everybody knows they're, they're very cunning and very intelligent predators so that's had a big impact on the population so it's a little more effort to find them but i do believe in in the last few years for reasons i'm currently unaware of but will hopefully soon research more they're recovering in areas a bit more so we had for instance, there was there aren't as many calves as, or prickets as they call them in Newfoundland, as one would expect. In the herd, one of the herds we spent time with, there were seventeen animals in the area, and there were three calves. And of that, there were probably eight or nine females, if not more. 
So there should be more, but again, between black bears and, and coyotes is happening, but it's great to see the three even. And over the years we've been going, we've been noticing more and more calves. So that's a good sign. But the Did you see any coyotes or black bears? Uh, I've seen black bears. Coyotes, no, surprisingly, but I, I know locals have and have pictures of them and some of them have trail cameras out and, and get them. And, um, there are more links there than I realized and I didn't see one. I, I'm looking forward to that opportunity someday. But I didn't, I saw a sign of coyotes, but didn't actually see any. Foxes in Newfoundland, not that it has to do with predation on, on caribou, they don't, but we had a magical experience with a fox this year. And they're around in in areas too if you get lucky but the caribou as everybody knows I mean they're not necessarily where you expect to find them day in and day out they move around and it's fun spending as much time as we did so to be there for the month and just they just get a notion sometimes it's just like the lead cow gets a notion well we're gonna go for a hike for five kilometers today and go to this other spot because it's really cool and all of a sudden they just go they're gone so it's always a roll of the dice to start each day in different areas you're in. Once we found a herd and they were approachable, that where they'd be and how we'd find them. So each, each day to locate them, we'd hope to get them right away in the morning to get the good light, to get silhouettes maybe, or at least just the good light. And there were times we'd get out there even for, you know, half hour before sunrise and no sign of them, didn't find them. We'd have to hike for a few kilometers and find them mid-morning. And then there's that, you just, you know, you pack stuff so you can spend the day because more than one time, you know, we decided to go to hike back out and go back in three hours later and guess what? Nobody's there. Where you know, So it's a fun game that way. So you have to be prepared to spend the time with them. And it was a great workout because of the amount of hiking that we did to ensure we found them each day when the weather was good. But then there's that part of Newfoundland too where, you know, we stayed longer. We, again, we added an extra week at the end because of the favorable forecast to have sunny days and, and calmer days. But there were, there were times where it would start out just sunny and beautiful and then by 10 a.m. this fog rolls in off the ocean. And you're just in this soupy fog, which was dramatic in its own way for video and photos. But you couldn't. There were times you couldn't see far enough. But then it would lift a bit, and they'd bed down. Anyway, bed down, and, and just it was very, um, very moody and, and fun. So there's that part of being a wildlife photographer. I mean, you can work with different parts of the landscape, but the different weather and different light. But the biggest daily challenge was just basically finding the subjects and then hopefully staying with them. Newfoundland's its own landscape that way because there's a lot of extensive bogs which are not safe for people to walk across but when you personally, you know, if I watch them walk their their game trail, their years worn path around the edges you know I can carefully walk that too but there's also a lot of solid ground exposed rock especially closer to the coast that there's no issue with that I told my favorite story about this Newfoundland trip on a recent year in wrap-up podcast we recorded for Nampa so I'll, I'll give a 
shorter version of it, but just to give the, the flavor of what the best, well, for me and my interests and my passions, the best day in Newfoundland was for this trip. We started out before daybreak as we did every day that was clear. Sorry, I'm just going to have a drink of water. And found moose along the shore. And there were six, but we were able to get, I think, four in a silhouette. And at first, I'm like zoomed right in. And the moose were flighty. They they didn't want to be around people. You kind of have to hide and be in, in a place. But there were enough moose in the area that if you hid long enough at the right time of day, they'd come by. And I got four in the frame, but at first I just put them against the water silhouetted, which was all right. But when I panned back for an environmental portrait, there were these rolling hills behind that gave layers and context to the image as well. So that was pretty cool. Still before sunrise. And to our shock, we saw this fox moving along near us from one bush to another. Tuckamore. It's a evergreen plant slash tree that is just incredibly dense with branches and they all the animals navigate around Tuckamore. And I guess I mean the fox was hunting, but it was a cross fox, which are quite a few of in Newfoundland and throughout the north, and it's a color morph of a red fox that has black coat as well as the red throughout it. So very striking animal. But it's dark. It's like half an hour, twenty minutes at least to sunrise, so no expectation. I'd seen a couple other foxes on the trip at that point, but each time it was like literally a blur, just flat out running away as we hiked uh, the edge of the tundra. This one stuck around. It laid down, it'd go behind another Tuckamore about 10 yards further, lay down, look around, and it was totally chill. So it worked. Most of the pictures were taken before sunrise, but then I got a couple as the sun hit it as well. And then as soon as the sun hit it, it was gone. It took off. So that was magical to have that. And and to be able to like photograph the fox and then like pivot ninety degrees and do moose silhouette and then back to the fox and waiting for the light. It's, it's just so much going on. But the caribou were nowhere in sight. And so sometimes Pilly and I would split up. She got to know this area well enough. And, and for the most part, there's cell signal at this spot. And we'd split up to try to find the caribou. And part of my dream, my, my bucket list, top of the list caribou picture I was trying to get, well, I didn't expect to get, was swimming in good light. And caribou love to swim. They don't hesitate to cross any body of water if their mind's set on getting to the other side. But I'd never had that opportunity. And just for the diversity of my portfolio, I dreamt of it. So maybe three or four days before this special day, I had my first chance filming caribou in the water. And a group of them, about a dozen, swam directly at me. There was this bay they crossed instead of going around. and. There was a big stag and a whole bunch of females and young, and they came straight at me, but it was cloudy. 
And so it was super exciting, but not as dramatic an image because cloudy conditions make the water gray. Still okay, but not what we dream of. So on the day I'm talking about with the moose silhouettes and the cross fox, Pilly and I split up and she went in another area about three or four kilometers from where I was. And I started hiking through the edge of this forest and along the edge of the tundra. And I got maybe a kilometer or two in and I got a text from her that she found the caribou herd we were looking for. And they were near another bay and it was a sunny day. I'm like, and they're heading toward the water. And so I'm like panic mode. I'm like, there's no way I can get there. And I can't go back around the way I entered. It just might take way too long. So I, I have all my gear on me. I have my, my backpack with the cameras. And so I start high stepping it going as quickly as I can, knowing I've got a long way to go. It might not work good. Just, I'll just do my best to get there. About another half mile along, I, I'm along the edge of the coast and there's this ptarmigan just standing there as I'm walking by. I mean, I almost step on it because I have such a focus to get to the caribou. It's like 10 feet from me. I'm like, oh, beautiful, mid-molt, mid beautiful plumage, ocean background, got to do this. Caribou, please wait. So I spent 10 minutes with the ptarmigan. I had so much fun with it and then went on for the caribou. I got to this high point where I should be able to see all around. There's some forest, but see the caribou didn't see anything couldn't see the caribou couldn't see pilly i'm like oh, i've missed it and at that point there's no cell signal for whatever reason it's gone so i just keep going keep going and another half mile or so i glimpse two caribou briefly on a hill and they turn and are walking away and i know at this point they're within a couple hundred yards of this bay so i, I push it push it push it go 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 I get there, I get past them, I see the caribou, I get on the other side, I meet up with Pilly, and we didn't pick up on this point. So we're watching, it's a rocky shore along this bay, but there's places they can access the water. We missed this one. And we go to the next one, 200 yards down, get set up, this is where they're gonna come down. And I look up and they're in the water. They're swimming because we missed the entry point. But they're close enough that when I walk down the water and I zoom, I can get the shots I want. And they literally entered the water less than 10 minutes after I got there and swam this bay, the whole straight line of them. And the water's blue, the light is bright, the stag, the big stag's at the back, his antlers above the water. It's, the water has some wave to it, which is kind of cool because as, and this is one of those things, I wish we could have been doing video too. It's just so fast. But the, it was timing it, so I'd be, I literally was filling the buffer. Because I was timing it where the wave would go down, and then you'd see the stag's body come up and get a back line in the blue water, as well as his head. So that was, that was the culmination of that day, which made it an epic experience, and, and was able to film that behavior in the light I'd dreamt about for years. So was that all R5 days uh -huh. then, or you're back to shooting the R5, or are you shooting the 850? That, that, those stills were on the 850. So on that trip, I was using the R5 for primarily video. 
I was doing handheld video at first and then I was doing everything on the tripod after that. Not that I didn't think it'd be possible to get some really cool behavior handheld. I haven't played with it enough and I want to review the video but after the first day or two of trying handheld I'm confident there are some clips that are good but I wanted more than just some short clips. I wanted to be able to pan with the herd. I wanted a still composition as far as the frame not moving at all as the herd came through. So everything, not everything, but the majority of the R5 was for video. I'd switch back and forth. And I'm looking forward to doing trips where it's simply toggling. I mean, I've got the, the action buttons on that program just to switch the mode from video to still and, and be able to do that. But it, the 850 is such an extension of me. When I decided I was just doing stills, it's what I grabbed first at this at that point. So you're filling the buffer on the 850. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when Jason and I were in Yellowstone last winter and we got to film the uh, Pine Martin chasing the squirrel, I was even rested on a snow machine and and had what I thought was a pretty solid rest, and you still couldn't get usable video handheld. And that was only, I think, at three, about 300 millimeter. But yeah, even, it, it's really difficult. What's that? Was that the 850? You mean? No, that was the R5. Oh, it was the R5. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, operator error. I mean... <laughs> I mean, no, that was. <laughs> I only say one thing in the last hour and a half, and I'm getting crap about it. Uh. <laughs> I thought we were going we to talk about the snowbank saddle again, but. <laughs> no, no, that didn't come up. Thanks, though. I think it'll pull off for some. And Joe Sabaleski, who was on the podcast, a great friend of the podcast, you know, he sent me some stuff mm -hmm. which convinced me to go to the R5. On uh, he posted on on Instagram in the summertime. I think it'll do some. I just haven't done it. Yeah, you can get, you know, one second clip here and there, but <laughs> to be able to hold it steady enough is is difficult. And it was not operator error. It was well. All right, it may have been on that one because I was trying to follow the action of the two fastest moving things on the tree. <laughs> well, that's you have to train yourself, right? When you're doing video and things are moving, it's hard not to move just instinctively with them. To keep that camera still so mm -hmm. that so that the movement's highlighted, not the movement of the frame. I yeah. mean, I found that to be a challenge. It's like the animal lifts its head. Well, let's lift. Oh, don't don't lift that camera. Let the animal lift its head, right? So I could see that being with yeah. two fast moving, like a pine martin and a squirrel. That that would be hard not to. You know, I'm sure the first ten seconds I'd be all over the yeah. place and be like, okay, gotta stay still. But hmm. Well, thanks for waking up for that, Jason. <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, wait. I've been talking the whole time. I've just I've just been on mute. None of the audience are asleep. How are any of the hosts asleep? No, he's just been muted the whole time. So another 
No, I've been intrigued by Mark's stories. Seriously, they've been that to hear that story about that last shot, the one you've been trying to get for so long. You know, I think that's so cool to have all that come together finally, and you know, shot that you've envisioned for so long. I mean, that's yeah. We I think most of us know how that feels. It's very very exciting. That's and it's a cool story. Thank you, and to earn it. Right. And was it to only once that. that it happened? But yes. once it happened, did you get it again and again? No. That was it. Really? Yeah. That was it. I think, I think if we had I've said in a more. previous conversation with this one, that bull has given you everything else. Why not get the why not get the ocean shot? That it's, was it was great. I've uh this is the third I missed 2020 due to COVID, but it's the third year I've photographed that bull, and he's a treat. And this year was more dramatic because there were two competitive bulls or stags around, and then there was also an adolescent that hang, hung around with the herd. So by spending a month with them, um, sorry, Ron just vanished on us for a second there. That was my face. Um, by spending a month, I was able to witness so much behavior and photograph and film it. So that was a, a real treat as a, as a biologist and as somebody who loves caribou, just to get that right through mating season. So lots of mating sequences, lots of sparring, lots of satellite bull stuff, lots of sleeping, lots of mother and young. It was a real treat. And we'll put, I'll put up some video, but you, it's something that's really cool and unique about caribou is, is they click as they walk. In, in their hooves, there's the bones that click. There's always this clicking going on around. And, and speculation, not speculation, biologists believe that this is due um, for in inclement weather, whether it's super foggy or in, in really snowy conditions, that they can hear one another and stay together as a group as they walk. So something unique, and, and you get used to it. But watching some of the video, the the audio of that is is very apparent too but it was a tremendous privilege to be there right from pre-rut through rut uh, through the end of it and then to see the stags it was almost it happened over about two or three days where the stag who had the harem of females would not tolerate another mature male around and as the rut wound up he let them come back in and they joined the group and he'd even spar with them Again, within that time, two or three days, the last female was out of heat, and then he'd spar with these other ones, which, you know what, I, when we were filming it, and this was the joy of video, I mean, got lots of stills as well, but the adolescent bull, the three-year-old bull would come over and spar with one of these satellite big guys. It's like, oh, this is so great to get this footage and these photos. But when two of the, and then like an hour later, the two big guys got together, and I'm like, this is really happening like three days ago he would try to kill the other one and they actually sparred and in the that was magical to to film and to witness another uh, anecdotal story that that's fun about the rut cycle and i'm sure this happens with all ungulates but to witness it over calmly and quietly over these days i mean there's nobody there but us and it was to watch the females come into estrus or into heat was very gradual you know you, you think about it i don't often get the chance they're either not in heat and not being pursued by a male or they come into their annual heat and the male's right there well 
these females, when they're coming into heat the caribou, it took about five days, and they'd get friendlier and friendlier with the bull each day, and friskier with them, like to the point where they'd come up and poke him with their antlers, or they'd just tickle the top of his antlers with theirs, or they'd rub their the side of their head up against his flank or his neck, and or poke him in some places that I won't mention with their antlers. <laughs> Climb on his back as they got closer and closer to peak heat. Just to watch that slowly progress over, you know, three or four or five days. And by the, you know, the fourth or fifth day, they had that bull's full attention because they were in heat at that point. But at first they weren't. But to see their affection and friskiness grow and increase each day with the stag and he's always gentle with them which is something to see too like sometimes he'd be irritated where they'd poke their antlers their little antlers and caribou are the only antlered animal where the females also grow antlers annually albeit you know a fraction the size of a mature stag but he would be so gentle with them but some, on, on a couple occasions there were two females in heat the same day and just like any other species you know the dominant one would get more of the bull's attention but it was it was something really wonderful about having the time just to observe and witness that slow change in behavior that only happens once a year, unless they're not bred and come into heat again a month later, which would be rare in this situation, slowly become, slowly become friendlier and friendlier and more affectionate with the stag. It was, it was wonderful to watch. You know, I witness, I witness the same exact thing with moose. So, you know, we how we talk about go out and spend 10 days with, uh, you know, on your trip. But if you do get that chance to spend 30 days or whatever, that's the kind of stuff that you start noticing. And that's the stuff that you get to witness. And it's exact. you could have just exactly what you just said could have been moose. It's the same thing. It's just this gradual kind of the nudging and. And you would think, okay, well, she's over here and she's really loving on you. You know, it's time. And he just knows, no, it's not time, but this is part of the process. You know, it's just every day it just gets a little bit more affectionate or a little bit more. It's, it's just a really cool thing to watch. And you can kind you know, knowing that you, you can get the quality video or the quality stills because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with elk too. I've had that. I've not seen it with moose, but I've seen it with elk for sure, almost word for word. It's pretty cool. It's kind of the wildlife equivalent of going from, "Hey, how you doing?" to, "How are you doing?" That should be a far side cartoon. Yeah, probably has been. Uh, I see another T-shirt. I was going to say it's a future T-shirt. <laughs> is it front? How you is doing? Is it front <laughs> and back visuals, or are they both on the front, just side by side? <laughs> oh, we can play with it. Go front and back. <laughs> yeah all right ron's front and back all right so it yeah in in summary it was just a real a tremendous privilege to have that time with them this year and and i love newfoundland for just the unique flavor of the landscape and the wildlife and there's so much to be there's so many shorebirds eagles other things puffins uh, not when we were there, but, you know, it, it is a great place to go and see puffins during this I guess, spring and summer. I haven't really focused on them, but there are there are hot spots along the coast where they nest. 
Yeah, hearing you talk about it, Mark, makes me just want to get up there even more. I've got to get up there. Well, I was thinking Mark should probably be probably be a spokesperson for the tourism board. <laughs> Newfoundland Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have worked with them for a lot of years too, but it's because I, I don't know, I just, there's something about, you know, when you think about the rhythm, the rhythm of caribou in the north, there's something about the rhythm of Newfoundland. And maybe not everybody's going to get that, everybody's going to vibe with it. Maybe there's different types of people, but there's something about that place that just brings it down a notch and makes it more sane, but still tremendously rugged and wild i guess if i was to summarize it that's how i feel about it and the people are fantastic i i've met just some really wonderful people who to this day keep in keep in touch with me on a regular basis it, it's it's a great place what on one of the trips uh probably a, 15 years ago i we went in the summertime and i pilly and i we took the kids and We'd rented a cabin on the ocean and we told one of the, I think one of the housekeepers of this cabin complex that we hadn't had fresh salmon or something. I think, I think that's what it was. Well, I mean, it was salmon, but I think we hadn't had a fresh caught salmon. It was like two hours later, she showed up at the cabin door with this big salmon. She's like, here, do it. It's like you know, it's just phenomenal. Just no, no prompting. This is this is the opportunity, and and even on this trip, like I just mentioned, I mean, there's so many people that when you take the time to listen to, um, it was it was worth it. Perspective, you know, we rush, 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 produce, 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 earn, pay bills. You know, we love what we do. We're we're privileged, and anybody who has the opportunity to seriously, whether amateur or amateur or uh, professional, whatever it might be to pursue the interest and passion of wildlife photography is a, is a privilege, you know, and, and this, it's, yeah, this helps keep it. I think, what am I trying to summarize? It keeps it in perspe perspective that to slow it down this way. It doesn't have to be, shouldn't be an anxiety producing rush and and if you let nature and wildlife take its time its course you know it's one thing i've learned over the over the years as well instead of rushing it and wanting that shot pushing that shot making that shot happen for the sake of what we think we need for a saleable image or video clip instead of that energy sitting back and letting the wildlife energy predict what unfolds I've found at this stage of my career always come out further ahead things happen naturally with their behavior that wouldn't have happened if it was pushed or rushed but turned out to be better in the end so it's kind of what these longer trips in places like Newfoundland um, do as well you know it's like a gift it's the swimming the swimming video or, or photos it was a gift to me it was karma you know it's something that we do a lot of in the in when we go to wild places i pick up garbage whenever i see it and I, it's just in my mindset it's like you know what i'm going to pick up this trash that unfortunately somebody threw out but i'm going to clean up this landscape because it creates good karma and 
you know, when we're in coastal areas, if we're in coastal areas in Newfoundland, Pilly filled, we got garbage bags, like huge heavy duty garbage bags that you take up the whole back seat of the SUV and she'd fill them each day. And we'd take them and throw them out. All kinds of little plastics, big plastics. I filmed a caribou calf along the coast, picking up a blue recycling transparent bag and starting to eat it on this trip. And I'm like, the stag was, you know, 15 yards from the calf. But I'm, I mean, I, it's a caribou. It's, they're not like a moose or elk. It's not as, they're not as dangerous, but I still respect their space. But I was going in there. If this calf actually starts to ingest that bag, I'm, I'm going in there and shaking this up and getting that bag. But thankfully it chewed, chewed, and then spat it out. And then, you know, 10 minutes later I picked it up and we've, we collected a lot of stuff on this trip, but you know, I encourage people to do that, especially in wildlife areas and uh, it, it's it, good karma but really i guess in summary trips like this i've been craving it through covid to have an extended trip in the wild a month was fantastic i it's hard to come back because it just gives that perspective of just being in rhythm with nature it slows us down it's healthier it's healthier for me i know that did you get any snow no no so one of the projects I'm working on, I need some caribou and snow. So I'm watching the forecast and I'm, I'm going back the moment it looks like it'll last. But you know, it's funny. We live in Southern Ontario, a parallel latitude to Northern California. It's colder here than it is in Newfoundland through the winter. Last winter, I think they said they didn't get any snow that stayed until January. And then the antlers, the, the, the females keep their antlers till spring, but the mature stags drop them in the first part of December. So I'm, I'm watching it like crazy. And if there's snow that sticks, I'm, I'm heading back to try and document some of that. But yeah, nothing on this trip. We watched for it and there were frosty mornings, but no, nothing that would create snow. I've had another trips at that time of year to Newfoundland in October. I've had a day or two, but you know, more flurries and a dusting on the ground, not not accumulation. I don't think there's been a lot of snow in a lot of places yet. We've had several of these little almost spring-like storms, and in fact, I looked outside today. It was kind of sleeting, and uh, our grass is starting to green up again. You know, we've got the the blue grasses, and they're they're cool cool growing season it's starting to green up it was all dead and the end of the summer and man it's crazy as my daughter just said uh you know november we're getting all four seasons you said newfoundland all four seasons in a day we've definitely had it this month mm -hmm. it's been almost 70 and then of course you know we've gotten snow too but it's crazy this year it's um, almost in middle of November, and we're still our our property here in Southern Ontario right now. A lot of places places the leaves have blown off, but we're like peak color. This is not you know still. It should have been gone weeks ago. It's mm -hmm. yeah. Who knows, right? It, so yeah, I was just in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and there was still lots of color. I mean, there's still a lot gone, but there was still lots of color still around. So. 
I don't know. I just don't have enough experience in a lot of these places for that time of year, so I hate to jump to conclusions. And But I the one thing that you referenced earlier that I experienced in Alaska because I did a lot of coastal stuff this year was the trash. Mm. The trash in these wil- these pristine wilderness areas that floats up from the ocean is it's mind-boggling. You know, you would think you'd be out there in the middle of nowhere and it would be pretty... Right. That pristine but scary you'd find flip-flops right. you'd find the, yeah. toothbrushes you'd find Const- we found construction the, hat, na- the hats, number of, of construct- buoys right plastic buoys i mean if you wanted to start a fishing business you wouldn't have to buy none of that stuff you could just go cruise the coast and you could outfit your whole operation with just anything you want it's crazy and I, who knows how old that stuff is some of it's brand new. Some of it's probably been there for mm-hmm. years and years. Who knows? We were in Homer a couple of years ago uh, photographing the eagles. There was somebody was telling us about the, because they had those glass bulbs, those glass buoys that come all the way from Japan and just catch a current and head head northeast. That's why we were looking for. We were looking. We were on that glass ball hunting mission and. And it's cool to find one because those are, you know, I guess they still manufacture them and use them today. But if you find an old one, and I'm told you can go to some of these real obscure coasts and, and find them pretty readily. But the amount of money that it would take to get out to those locations or the time that it would take to get out there is, unless you're working out there, or you happen to be out there on another project, you're probably not going to go or it's just not cost effective enough to go. But yeah, that's what we did. And yeah, you know, I was with Drew on one of those trips, and he's like the glass ball finding king. So he was trying to teach me, you want to look up on this level and under these kind of logs and blah, and I didn't find it. But I did bring back a bunch of just, I don't know why, but I brought back a pile of plastic buoys. So if you are ever in Alaska and you need some buoys, I got them. <laughs> you want to set up some crab pots or something i got you well mark it sounds like got a little bit of a refresher it was a great taste and i just and i don't want to be greedy but i want more i want to slow life down more frequently like that you know so it's it's now working on the the mathematical equation or the life equation on how that's doable at the same time as being ambitious and trying to create some content that you know um, is appealing and resonates a story that I'd like to tell that also has meaning and educational components so I'm working on stuff like that but yeah I, I yeah snow snow in the forecast and I'm I'm gone again but it won't be for more than a week or 10 days this time but you're going to go to newfoundland you're not going to go do caribou somewhere else does it have to be the woodland or can you go up and do barren ground uh, it could be anywhere i'm thinking of these ones just because i've got it fairly dialed in this year where they are but i've also thinking of some out, out west too if if the weather doesn't turn wintry soon enough and whereas in the northern Rockies it is wintry now, there's snow and it's cold. So the caribou populations are are hard to find in 
parts of the Rockies, but there's some around, so that could be an option. I smell a wild and exposed trip to the Brooks Range. Oh, sign me up. Yes. Yeah, I'm in. Fly in, tent camp for two weeks, guys. And then float out on a river. Oh, now you're talking. Right? All that action camera stuff, who's going to film underwater? I got it. Ron. Ron. Ron's going in. Ron's got the dry yep. suit on. Yep. He's got that water, water fetish anyway, so I think it'll be fine. The fetish. I like it. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, anytime we get someone on about the ocean, Mr. Wyoming boy has way more knowledge than I would have ever dreamed of about what goes on out there. I'm telling you. I only had one form of entertainment on the ranch, buddy. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> We're, you know, let's do it. We we could create some great content, tell some stories, share in a magical place with the audience portion that would be unable to go there. So have you all watched that show, Being Caribou? We've talked about it on the podcast mm -hmm. before. But have you watched that? No, I, I've read the read the book and... and You've not watched it? No. Oh, my gosh. I think it is on YouTube. Oh. I think it's free. I don't think you even have to have Netflix. I think I found it on YouTube. Oh, okay. But look, if it's not there, it's going to be on Primer mm -hmm. or Netflix. And um, I just recently saw another book by that guy, that same guy. Carson Hewer. Caribou, too. So uh, I didn't. Now that I know you're working on a project, I, I should. Next time I see it, I'll send it to you because it's probably good research stuff for you. He did one. Um, was it the Y to Y from Yellowstone to the Yukon? He, I haven't read it yet. It's one of these things where when I see these books, I snap them up and buy them. Anything that resonates with me and my wilderness adventure spirit. And I, I believe, I haven't read it, but I believe he hiked it with his dog or something from Yellowstone to the Yukon in that corridor, that wildlife uh, migration corridor. The idea of, of yeah, there's some uh, some videos of that coming out as well. Okay, how cool would that be, I've right? Seen or heard heard a little bit of advertisement. I mean, yeah, that'd be great. Why not? I mean, I think last I heard, I mean, I've never met him, so I, but I think he's a last I I think I heard he's a warden in Banff now or works in Banff. But what you know, there's adventures to be had, right? And we've all had good fortunes to have had some of them, but there's there's stories to be told and adventures to be had. Got to you know, live this life once. Be smart about it, but go for it. Mm -hmm. That's a cool story, though. Being Caribou is a book that you know any any nature enthusiast should read or watch the show. Oh, I, yeah. I look for. I'll, I will check that out and see if it's on YouTube or find it. You know, Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. You know, he, a recent guest, he uh, he's a great example of that. There's plenty of adventures to be had, and and he's one that'll go out and get them. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. Well, and I think those adventures, so I was going to talk about this, and I decided no, but now it might be a good time. So you talk about being out there with a the caribou, and it's just you and Pilly, right? Mm -hmm. And you're able to slow it down. Right. Well, I think that situation allows you to slow it down. If you're out in Yellowstone, if you're out in the Tetons, if you're out in Denali, a lot of times the hustle and bustle of people is just there whether you want it or not, and you can't escape it. 
So it's really hard to dial it back because you're like trying to be productive. But a lot of times you're always having to second guess what might be going on because of other people, not that they're doing anything bad. It's just they're doing something that may not allow you to do what you're trying to do. And you just can't tell them, no, they got just as much right to do whatever they want to do as you do. So when you can find those scenarios or those situations like what you had, Mm -hmm. that's magical, right? And that's there's plenty of places to do it still. You just got to find them. You just got to find your... You're in Newfoundland. You just got to find your. Well, they're everywhere. You just don't go to the spot. main spots that that just are full of, of right. lots of attraction for other photographers or tourists. They're out there. It, you know they they may not produce the same. They may or may not produce the same amount of content, but it's yeah. It I don't. I, I the crowds. It's harder to harder to take. It's a different situation when the when. The, in this in this situation, you know, like moose, caribou will bed for two three hours, right? They'll rest during the day, even during the rut, and so to to chill out and just park it near them and do whether it's moose or caribou, if it's quiet, I mean that's that's the soul food time, right? When they're up doing stuff or creating content, but to sit down and just chill out with them while they're sleeping, to hear them snore, they snore, right? To be able to sit there and hear that and kind of chuckle to ourselves inside and then just watch the landscape or something else happen or that's 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 what recharges us but i you're right to point that out and i do i do find myself in some of those situations but it's also far more fulfilling to me when it's quieter you can share it with a few few friends and you say they're out there and they are but they're hard to find i mean because you You've got to take a lot of that time that, you know, if you did go to a Yellowstone or you did go to a Denali, you're going to be more productive a lot faster, right? Whereas if you're going to spend 10 days just finding that cool spot, you know, and that uh, for a lot of people is that's the amount of time they have to, to try to be productive. So it's it's not the perfect scenario, right. but you can find it. I guess that's just my point. Just just go find it and and be willing to to give up that somewhat sure thing to go find your own oasis. Well said. It's a good place to call it. Find the oasis. Another T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good band name. There probably is a band called Oasis. I'd, I'd be one of those. <laughs> Fifty or sixty of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me share my my story and relive my trip. With you guys, it's good good to see you, and I'm looking forward to Michael's story about his drive from Alaska to Colorado. Very different than the spring drive. Coming to a podcast on Wild and Exposed to you soon, if not already, depending on the sequence of events. And not to jump the gun, but for any of you that are interested in some fantastic Merchandise or swag, great caps, winter beanies, t-shirts, hoodies, always expanding line that helps support our efforts here at Wild and Exposed Podcast. Kindly visit our shop. You can find a link on Instagram or go to wildandexposed.com and the shop is right there for your browsing and there's no time like the present. This is not meant to rush anybody for the holidays. 
one day at a time, but due to shipping and timeliness of things this year, you may be prudent to order it sooner than later, and if you do, we thank you in advance. You can find more of our work on our YouTube channel. Yes, it's been quieter than we'd like this fall because I was missing in action in places like Newfoundland, but there's more and more content coming to YouTube. There's also a ton of it up there. Revisit past shows, guests, and some of our in-field podcasts to share with you there at Wild and Exposed Podcast. That's the search on YouTube. Please subscribe and give us a review. Those help us to gain traction on these busy platforms. Guys, it's been fantastic to share your company again. I hope to see you again soon. And one of these days, share an adventure. I love Michael's idea of the Brooks Range, but keep them coming. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.